Welcome to the ADEL podcast. ADEL is a membership-based Web3 community of like-minded people from different backgrounds, jointly building and investing in the Web3 ecosystem. My name is Lydia. I am the block leader for strategy block for ADEL. And tonight, we're very honored and happy to have three very special speakers here with us tonight. We have Eddie from ATA, we have Yue Hong from BCG, and have Moning from our legal counsel and also a very seasoned crypto lawyer. So let's kick off this call, um, this panel discussion by having everyone to introduce themselves, and then we can go into our topic tonight. So how about Eddie? Shall we start with you? Well, thank you for having me tonight. Arta Tefin is, is a listed company in Hong Kong. We're based in Hong Kong, but we our business is quite regional. We, what's the right way to put it? We have a combination of traditional business in finance and also blockchain-based uh, financial businesses. I guess I will stop here first. But uh, And our chairman is uh, Dr. Agent Chen, so I'm sure a, a lot of crypto natives will know about him. Oh, yeah, I'm, def- I'm sure that we'll go into more f- more about out as we talk. How about you, Hong? Sounds great. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. My name is Yu Hong. I'm actually a partner at BCG, and I lead the Web3 Digital Topic in APAC, currently based in Hong Kong. So very excited to to be here to talk about now this exciting topic, and I'm also a very proud ADAO member. Awesome. Welcome. And morning. Hi, everyone. Always a privilege to be here. We're a dedicated blockchain law firm in Singapore and Hong Kong, currently faced with client applications for licensing in Singapore and naturally more interest in Hong Kong now. Thank you, everyone. Awesome. And a welcome morning and welcome you at home. Yeah, so so for those who don't know about ADAO, we are, we are a DAO that's focused on building and, and enabling the Web3 community and Web3 ecosystem. So yeah, we are we are a members only DAO. That if you're interested joining a DAO, that follow definitely follow our Twitter account, and there will be more information there. And that we have members all over the world in here in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in Dubai, in the U.S. And yeah, and everyone in the DAO are, are super passionate and about building and enabling the Web three community and, and ecosystem. So definitely looking forward to having having you joining ADAO and, and you'll be meeting a lot of great people in the space. So yeah, great stuff. So for, for, for tonight's session, definitely we we why we did why we have this session, because in Hong Kong, I think it's uh two weeks ago that Hong Kong government has an, has put forward this policy announcement and statement about virtual assets. So, and definitely it's a, it's a very good news for everyone in this space. So we would like to, for those who, who are not familiar, that we would like to have a quick recap first for, for such for such statement and the policy statement on developing virtual assets in Hong Kong. And it's, it's very exciting news for everyone in this space. And we, we can go into more details and see what are the new opportunities for those who are in Hong Kong with the issue, with the statement, with such, such a statement. So for, for those who are not familiar, this statement is about the comp- the government is stating, stating that they are really welcoming the, the ecosystem and developing such an ecosystem of virtual assets and enabled by Web3 and other related related technologies. So it's the I think it's a it's a very welcoming statement and really encouraging for those who are in this space. 
And there are a few there are a few highlights in this in in the statement. The first one is that about the regulations. I think I think the government is is in the statement. They're really emphasizing that we're they're looking into it, and about and also forming the the regulations for in for managing such space in Hong Kong. And I think there's there, this definitely bringing more clarity. And secondly, um, one highlights the investors' exposure. Which means that there could be a, a possibility that uh, this space will be open up to more retail, retail, retail investors, and the possibility of having a virtual asset related ETFs. So these are also quite exciting and and quite forward looking for for Hong Kong. And they also in the statement also talk about stable coins and how it's going to be become like the Hong Kong MA is going to look into the regulation of. Of stable coins and related market as well. So yeah, with this, uh, it's it's quite high level the statement, but the attitude and the overall vibe is actually very welcoming and really encouraging. They're trying to really embrace this opportunity and this this trend. Also, try to welcome more talents and more investors into this space. So yeah, feel free. I, I think Yue Hong and Eddie and Moni feel free to add if the the reading of this or or what's your takeaway from from this statement. Well, actually, I just noticed we have seven over seven hundred listener to this. Good job, everyone. <laughs> so yeah, I I want to respond to the ETF part, the the virtual asset financial instrument part. So to keep the long story short, I think it's a great news for everyone that retail can finally participate in virtual asset in Hong Kong. In fact. <laughs> I'm sure everyone does already. Everyone have bought Bitcoin or Ethereum or some some tokens of some sort. And I want to distinguish between the two, the three. Actually, there's one that's called security security token, which is backed by security. And so far in Hong Kong, there are only one or two that are privately issued. It's much more prevalent in Singapore, where they have started doing security tokens since 2017. So so that part in Hong Kong is still less relevant, but it will become relevant in the future. So the utility token, as defined by SFC, which is So-called stuff that we actually trade for for years, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all these altcoins. Those are the ones that I think SFC has has a, has a strong view on basically how to protect the retail from three risks. The the three time of risk.、Uh, one is the market risk, which I mean, doesn't matter which format you buy it, Bitcoin, you still have market risk. But then the SFC is truly concerned about the settlement risk, where when it comes to public blockchain. And also the counterparty risk, where you, if you do engage in any DeFi, your counterparty may disappear. It can be a DeFi counterparty that disappeared, for example, recently FTX or etc. So, the way that the SFC structure the retail participations, in a way, is more financial friendly, or financial institution friendly than crypto friendly. So the underlying instrument of the ETF. So so you and I or any retail can go to Hong Kong Stock Exchange. To buy an ETF that's linked to a virtual asset, but the virtual asset explicitly stay it has to be an eligible futures, and the eligible futures is Chicago Mercantile Exchange listed Bitcoin or Ethereum's futures. So what makes this different? I mean, this is the only thing that ETF can buy so far, and they do say SFC does say they are happy to review and expand the scope, but it has to be. CMD this time, and this instrument is cash settled. So meaning, any retail who bought the ETF, the ETF provider will put dollar, US dollar or Hong Kong dollar, to CMD, which is a centralized exchange, traditional one by the way. And everyone just and then then the cash is there, and then then the ETF provider will buy the futures because they have cash there, 
And when the when it comes to expiry, it will settle in cash. So the whole process actually doesn't touch any blockchain. Even if you buy Bitcoin <laughs> futures, you actually don't touch the Bitcoin chain per se, or you know Ethereum chain per se. So it is kind of a half step forward, which is still a step forward, but it is a half step forward in terms of opening cryptos to retail. I mean, it's not really on-chain stuff. It is a financial instrument. I guess I will pause here. Thanks, Eddie. That's a very detailed. Yohong, you wanted some, something to add? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm very, very bullish about Hong Kong and that, right? So I think some may argue that it's a bit late, right? And then I think I think it, it brings a few clarity. So I think one, it basically, you know, there was always this cloud that's saying, will, you know, Beijing, right, prevent Hong Kong to continue to strive in the crypto space, right? And I think the answer is basically, we have regulatory clarity here, right? So there is, this is a good thing, right? Second thing, which is very important is, there is actually not a lot of places in the world where, you know, you actually have both world-class infrastructure from traditional finance point of view, right? And also, you know, a burgeoning ecosystem of Web3 infrastructure, right? And, and Hong Kong is one of the only place, right? Maybe you can argue that Singapore could be one of them, right? But essentially, you know, you don't find actually a lot of places in the world for that, right? And third, I think we're going to talk about the data, but, you know, the, the amount of talent that you find in the blockchain and Web3 space in Hong Kong is also amazing, right? So I think combining those three factors and and looking forward, right, I think it's going to be very disruptive, right? And I think Hong Kong really has all the bullet to really not only become an Asian center, but also a global center. So very excited about that. And for morning that you've been like in the space and, and monitoring this space and also com- like like working in different countries, what's your what's your takeaway from Hong Kong government's this the statement this time? Well, traveling to different countries and thinking <laughs> the empty Hong Kong airport and <laughs> the restrictions and all the crypto events happening in places other than Hong Kong is heart heartbreaking. So better late than never better late than sorry and i think it's highly positive this is an unstoppable tree and the metaverse and what what's going to happen in terms of creativity and innovation in this space is just you know the chemistry is just so great it's it cannot be ignored anymore i'm very happy to see this policy statement i just want to share with you if i may our survey because we always have our own prejudice and perception of what should should not so in the summer, August leading up to end of September, I used to teach at Hong Kong U. So every summer we have lots of interns, not just legal interns, but we have artists as our interns as well, who are very, very interested in NFTs. And we love young people They from univers- different universities. They are thinking outside of the box. They, they want to have a space in the future. So we're very excited to work with about 20, 25 of them. And we send them, up to, send them out to elicit and solicit survey from different walks of life, from people around them, from young people, just like themselves. So happy to say we have some insights into some learnings. So I'll, I'll share this. So we went to the Hong Kong Computer Fair for a week and they 
we have a booth to educate and to engage with conversations. It's very casual. We have interviewed a sample of different age group, different gender, and different profession. The feedback and the conclusion from the survey was the the people who are more educated in, for example, DAO, NFT, the metaverse, are strangely enough are not the young people, but the more mature in age group of say twenty eight to 45 they often bring in industry knowledge because they would have worked for some years so they are they are very interested to blend what they have as expertise and experience and enhance with digitization and what this could mean in the metaverse so the the very interested portion of the population in the survey seems to be from the more mature participants and the younger ones are still uh, they would. They were saying eighty percent not sure what NFT is, what metaverse represent. Uh, even our own interns, they have no idea what blockchain mean, meant for them uh, in real life. And when they uh, started to think of any new space, all they think can think of is employment opportunity. So these are the new university students. You know, third, fourth year. They want to know what is in it for them in the metaverse in terms of employment opportunity. So seeing the policy statement is is is, is very, very positive uh, because they want to start thinking of new jobs for themselves. They don't want traditional jobs anymore. They want to work in the metaverse. They want to work in the metaverse from home. How does this look? What does it mean for them? What skills do they need to prepare and equip now? But what subjects can they choose from. So we went through the subjects list at university and there is nothing metaverse or blockchain or anything digitization apart from the computer sciences or the engineering which they could have a good grounding. But so we're thinking that they could each go back to their university and have conversations with the academia institution to better equip themselves. So yes, very positive and we're very excited to start conversations at the uni level to bring this forth. Thank you. Thanks, Monique. Yeah, I think talents and young people definitely are, are, are key to the for, to the to the sustainability and longer term success for, for this for this space. And we will touch on such topic later on about talents as well. But at this point I want also want to bring back a little bit on the new policy or or the government statement that Eddie just now touched on ETFs and what the the retail what's the impact on potential opening up to retail retail investors, even though it's it's a half step forward and, and we look forward to having maybe more possibilities there. And I want to I want to see what you guys think of like exchanges also like other op like other crypto or other platform operators. What does this mean for them? And are are we going to attract more exchanges or, or platforms coming getting licenses in Hong Kong? And and what does that what does that mean for Hong Kong? Are we going to attract more investors? What do everyone think? Maybe Yue Hong or Eddie can share more. Yeah, we are. License in Hong Kong, and we are applying for. Well, we, we actually own ten financial licenses in Hong Kong for some reason. I'll skip the detail, but we we are in the process of applying for virtual asset service provider license, and the process has been ongoing for a couple of months by now. To your questions, in fact, great questions. Would there be more participants? Would there be more jobs? I think yes, absolutely. But as I say, if we just look at the policy, as in what has been rolled out today, you will see that you probably have Hong Kong exchange. Being very happy, 
because the ETF will be listed on a Hong Kong exchange. And that's a TriFi exchange, not a DeFi exchange. I think that's 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 the first thing that I I kind of felt should be important for for the audience. So meaning I think the next steps with the industry as a whole is pushing very hard to create a safe environment for a secure environment and also regulated for the crypto exchange. And there are two that have been a you know, OSL and HashKey, probably most of you guys would know, they have the exchange, crypto exchange, where physical settle, physically settled cryptos can be traded there. And I want to distinguish between Hong Kong Stock Exchange and the OSL versus the OSL and HashKey. The Hong Kong Stock Exchange does not touch cryptos. They touch crypto link products where they're cash settles. So I think we're still, again, why is it important to, to, to emphasize or highlight that it is half step? It is not a full steps is yes, retail can participate into virtual asset, into cryptos, but the no is it doesn't really touch the train, chain. So meaning the, the type seven's physically settled exchange doesn't really become relevant to this almost. In fact, they have to fight for their futures. And I think that's important. But then I think the question is with, with all these happening this week or last week or even Celsius or, or Lunar Terra, I think as an industry, at least from, you know, all of all my buddies and friends and traders and you know exchanges, crypto native or non-native or even you know, you know the 80, 90 years old who watch you know news about cryptos, there seems to be a consensus towards regulations, and that means the like of the, we call it the SFC Type Seven. The they they actually not technically an exchange. It is we call it automated trading strategy. So it's it's a company that provide electronic prices or market making. So instead of an authorized exchange like Hong Kong exchange where they are actually authorized by the government. So, but anyway, despite the technicality, the ATS or the type seven or so-called the crypto exchange in this case, they should be able to attract more businesses because ultimately who wants to lose money on exchange? Who wants to risk that you have a position open and then suddenly it go 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 it go busted overnight and then your position become you know, become invalid. In fact, this is what the SFC has focused on. And that's why there are only two outstanding. And if you go through the process, if you go through the whole application, which we do, you will notice that it is relatively safe to basically use the type type 7 providers, list the token over there, if you can, and trade over there and the cost lie over there. So it is a good news, but I don't think the policy this time has actually addressed the crypto exchange, but I think it will eventually. So the, the industry as a whole is working on that. So would there be more jobs in for the crypto native or crypto diehard? I think so, definitely in Hong Kong. And that's one thing that we advocate as well. And how about how about your home? What do you think? Absolutely. Thanks, Eddie. I think that to build on what Eddie said, which I totally agree, right? That's three area I'm particularly excited about. I think, first of all, I think the FTX saga right? What it will bring is basically more skepticism for regulators in small island, right? So what does it mean? It means maybe like, you know, if you are getting a license in the Bahamas, in Cyprus, right? There will be much more scrutiny on whether this license will be as valid as if you basically get the same type of license in rigorous financial centers such as New York or Hong Kong, right? Or London. I think that's, that's the first point. Right. So what it really also means, it means that 
you know, even though small countries can actually have a friendly regulatory environment, right? But more and more institutions and more and more consumer would actually be keen to basically having an exchange in a location with more rigorous uh, enforcement, right? Such as Hong Kong. So I think, you know, what we will see in the, in the, in the coming months or year is the number of exchanges, including, you know, the large one with much more liquidity will start to actually apply for license in Hong Kong for the one who haven't done it yet, right? I think that's, that's, that's one thing I'm excited about. The second thing which is important, as I mentioned, is, you know, the ambition for Hong Kong to recognize actually smart contract transactions. What does it really mean? It means that, you know, if you go to Hong Kong exchange, right, you actually settle T plus three, right? There is multiple layers. There is the broker and there is actually the exchange, you know, liquidity provider, the, the, you have actually the custodian and you have settlement and you have clearing, et cetera, et cetera, right? All of that can actually be very much simplified with a token, right? So I don't think that, you know, token will replace equity or bond in the first place, right? But there is actually a lot of, I would say, secondary asset or illiquid asset in Hong Kong that could be tokenized by more traditional players because now you have regulatory clarity. What I'm talking about, for instance, secondary is private equity. They already, already have quite some shops that sells fractionalized KKR or, or Carlyle's, you know, share in the secondary market, right? So those could be accessible, right? Tokenized real estate. So whatever is illiquid can be tokenized to create liquidity. That's actually a perfect use case that, that will be exciting also for Hong Kong, right? And the third is essentially the distribution of Web3 and crypto products through traditional channels. Right. So I think that's also, there's been a bit of guidance on the role of intermediary, right? So for instance, on Futu, right? Or on uh, interactive broker, you would be able to access using more traditional, I would say apps, right? And not directly going into a end-to-end -end exchange such as Binance or, or FTX, right? Being able to go an interactive broker and get exposure on some of the crypto elements, right? Either through ETF, or through actually one of the licensed exchange in Hong Kong, right? And that's actually also bringing, you know, digital asset to a set of customer who are not exposed in the end. So all three elements are, are quite positive. Thanks, Shui Hong. Actually, I have one one follow up question. You just mentioned the the use case of like tokenization of different products, right? And one thing in the statement that um, the government mentioned that the, they're going to tokenize the government green bond. Not mm -hmm. I'm not here, but I'm wondering if that's some if that's if some there if that's something that they are doing really on chain like or doing like tokenization or is it just also like a half step on on the way? Look, I think you know I I don't know exactly the detail on how they're going to tokenize it. I think it's basically open to the industry to do that, right? So I I think it's so my hypothesis is is going to be on chain, right? Which chains are going to choose? We will see. But I think, you know, there is actually, I'm sure there is actually a lot of discussion on, on, on doing it on chain, right? And it's actually a new asset class. So it's actually relatively easier, easier to, to do that. However, the chain and the process they're going to use is going to be more, I would say, enterprise friendly, right? So what does it mean? It means that, you know, in order to access that, you will probably need to do, to have a whitelister to do KYC, right? So that you basically can trade green bonds between two parties that know each other, right? To avoid that you trade, for instance, with Iran or North Korea, right? Second thing is it will have regulation on having institutional grade custody in between, right? So 
I think it's going to be, you know, I would say an infrastructure which is more institutional ready versus just your, you know, DGEN, DeFi wallet type of, of trade. Yeah, I, I absolutely, absolutely echo that, Zadi. We actually are involved in both in the tokenization um, of private security that, uh, that was mentioned, you all mentioned, as well as we are going to be involved in the project with obviously as a community, we support um, this development with the government. So like you say, I think it will be on chain. It will be on public blockchain, but then it will be on permission blockchain. Like uh, you don't exactly say where you need to know your counterparts, meaning everybody who wants to be a member, just like if anyone wants to be eight out members, you know, <laughs> I need to apply. I need to tell you who I am. You perhaps want to check my IDs if you if, if, if you need to. So there's a well-defined process where a regulated financial entity, for example, uh, folks like us, will have to carry out if you go come in to buy stocks anyway. So would it make a difference between whether you buy a stock that is in paper form or a stock that is in digital form? For example, with Arta, you can actually we are we are we are full members of the Hong Kong Exchange. We can we have CCAS, we have DCAS, which means that you can trade stocks electronically and the, the electronic electronic stocks again not in tokenized format electronic stocks web2 style can be costedized under can be keep costed under under a centralized exchange trifi hong kong exchange and Arta is a member who can facilitate this process so it's a member systems in a way the hong kong exchange itself is a permission blockchain but they don't use blockchain based consensus mechanism but they actually do have member systems where breakfast uh also not also irreversible, but again, different consensus mechanisms. So we won't go, go through the Web2 or the Web3 here. But when it comes to tokenizations, it will be the same. It will be on likely a public blockchain, but then it will be permission-based. So is it fully public? It is not public, as everyone likes to. And would it require KYC and an AML? Absolutely, just like Yu Hong said. Absolutely. And why is it a green bond? <laughs> Apart from the fact that government is pushing forward the green initiative, if you notice, the green bond is a public offer. So when it comes to offering, you can offer it privately. In Hong Kong, it's 50 people or professional investor to be accept. In Singapore, it would be less than 30 accredited investors. In the US, it will be, they call QIB, Qualified Institutional Investors, uh, buyers, sorry. So the different country have different rules. But for Hong Kong, it is 50 and private individual institutional or professional investors. If you go above that, it will constitute a public offering. By that, it means your prospectus will be very thick. There'll be lots of information and the disclosure on the day of insurance or before the insurance as well as an ongoing disclosure will be, we are a public company, Arta, for example, we disclose according to the listing rule. So there is a lot to disclose. So the investor know what's going on and they're protected, at least well-informed. So the reason why the, the green bond was named to be the first instrument to be tokenized is that. It is a public offering already, so the public knows about it. They already have the information. So whether you buy a paper copy, electronic copy, or a tokenized copy, to SFC point of view, it's the same. You have to go through the same process that I mentioned. So I think that's a good start. But then if we limit it to public security, it will be quite hard again. We have to work on, in fact, we are working on a permission blockchain solution as a firm to, and also with a few community members in, in Hong Kong to streamline exactly what Yu Hong say, the trustee process, the consensus process, also in terms of ownerships, in terms of 
corporate action, paying dividends or coupons, voting, for example, can we can we can we work like a DAO, but we don't call ourselves a DAO, for example, because the the you know the, the somehow the SFC doesn't think that, you know you know we should be called a DAO, it should be called trustee, for example, in in the in the Web two world. So in any case, the blockchain solutions, the solutions that we provide. Actually, can simplify the process. So I think we'll bring back more detailed example. Hopefully, we can we can share more on how tokenizations can actually help you know make security you know settlement process better. With that said, the last point is to Yu Hongpong, application in private security. And to me, what make this important the policy important is the fact that Hong Kong, as a government, and also Hong Kong SFC have explicitly encouraged. Tokenizations of securities, and again, I find better use case in private than public securities. So for illiquid asset, the more illiquid it is, the more it trade OTC or we so called over the counter without any change, the more likely blockchain can help. I think that's where, you know, I, I think a lot of you guys must be must be also you know somewhere you're working, somewhere you're in school. Absolutely, flow yourself into tokenization of security tokens, and and again, Hong Kong government choose green bond. We find a lot of use case with green bond on public security as well, but we find even more use case in the private. That that means you know, as a career or as a as a, as an industry, I think Hong Kong will become one of the strongest given our financial center status. And globally, there are about two hundred fifty trillion dollar worth of listed equity and bonds, as well as you know, by four to five times more in terms of private securities. So that's an area that ought to actually focus on. And and then how does it compare to the so-called utility. I mean, I I am using SFC, you know, definition, but we call it, you know, tokens, right? But utility tokens become Ethereum, you know, Solana. So that market is it was about a trillion. I think now it's around seven hundred billion. It went down quite a bit. So a seven hundred billion or less than a trillion dollar market versus over two hundred fifty trillion dollar market. I think for job opportunities and you know investment opportunities or even business opportunity, it's quite obvious that one can 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 figure out that the security tokenization market will become even bigger and it would be important. So I encourage everyone to 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 spend time on it. Thanks, Eddie. That, that, that's that's very thorough and a lot of insights on, on the green bond issuing. And also I think I think you brought up a very good point on the private securities, how how it can be benefited, how it can benefit from tokenizing. Yeah, like we we look forward to you sharing more on, on that. Monique any, I, I see that yeah, I, I, I like to follow up on that about the property, right? So the reason why, of course, this, this gets opened up in stages. As we see with the FTX, they have a, a huge misrepresentation that their operations are and, and client assets are in fact insured, which turned out not to be the case, which is staggering. So if, if SFC were to license any securities, or you know, license for a public consumption, then it would touch upon a public deposit funds. The insurance will need to come in and understand what are the property rights, what are the risks, and be able to quantify and assess what's the premium payable. Right now, we know there's only Lloyd's insurance who are in this space. There will be more. So it, it has a whole suite of considerations when a regulator comes into place. So. If we open to retail, then yes, the KYC AML will be in full suit. But then that also brings in if there's any losses or collapse, then who 
would get compensated or investor protection provision starts to come in. I do agree there's a lot of, there's a ton and whole spectrum of activating the private sector in terms of private securities. For example, we're now looking at uh, land tokenization. So we had to uh, devise a very complicated structure from you know, the Philippines to the jurisdiction to dissect a very simple property right which I'm sure a lot of Hong Kong investors or retail investors would be very happy to participate even a fraction, a fractional right for expectation of profits in the long run. So how do we land tokenize such a highly regulated area? Then we have to create something like an, a, collect, a collective investment scheme that fits into the SFC approval process, which of course is, it cannot be a direct uh, virtual asset. So there's a lot of bundle, which increase a lot of legal costs and transactional costs, which may kill the project and, and the innovation to start before it even takes off. So that private space, which the paper has alluded to, for example, vintage art tokenization, which has been in discussion for at least five years now, but we haven't seen successful cases. So that private property, which could be fractionalized and so off as investment units to the public is something we're very excited about as well. So hopefully we can bring more of this investors' interest from offshore, from different quasi-licensed jurisdiction back to Hong Kong. The part about the property rights that I'm very, I look forward to having more conversations with the regulators and, and our, our submissions would be the property rights of tokenized assets, which says that a recognized VA virtual assets are different from traditional assets. And it's rightly stated that the current private property law in Hong Kong would not be able to extend beyond virtual assets. And, or, and to facilitate it. So this is something we very much look forward to. For example, in the, the realm of NFT, it's, yes, intellectual property right, but then there are so many derivative interests that could stem out of it. So how do we divide and, and layer out different property rights and still in a virtual space, perhaps using smart contract, perhaps not, perhaps tokenize, perhaps add a hybrid structure into it. So how does that sit very well with our current property law to to further enhance investor protection, which is what the government uh, is ultimately interested in, rightly, in current current climate. So so that property part would, would be something we're very uh, keen to, other than the contractual licensing between parties. For example, um, in 8 membership, we know there are many, many holders of premium uh, NFTs. So how do we license our own private assets of a very valuable, high-value NFT and protect it? Because to have a full suit of property rights, then you need a registry. If I own an NFT and I license it to five different people, you know, licensee number one will not know what rights licensee number two has, and they will think they'll pay a premium for exclusivity, which may not be, be the case. So it will stamp up bad actor. But then if we have a registry of NFC assets recording what rights each owner holds or whether we verify this to be the true owner of a particular NFT, then that goes back to a centralized system of registry. And then how do you onboard different registration of rights and, and then protection? So it's, it's a, a, going to be a very lengthy discussion if we go to that details. So... 
the more we have debate and discussion in this space, the more we could enhance protection and balance our innovation and, and further investment opportunities. Yeah, thank you. Oh, absolutely agree. To add to this, I think for, for everyone benefit, the, the announcement by the government highlight that the two, the two areas, one is the kind of art and collectibles, and the other area is the vintage, which I guess one is wine or cigar or all those, you know, vintage. I think what what is important is we probably can, it will be it will be hard to build a private collect you know private what's the right way to actually I, I want to draw one example so let's see if anyone knows um, too bad we can't vote here but you can vote by your heart or by your by your by your by your Twitter does anyone know where who operate the gold reserve in Hong Kong and actually where do they sit so in the event you bought a gold a piece of gold. It should sit somewhere, right? You can see that your home or sit somewhere centralized. So that's what we need. If we buy an NFT on a painting or NFT on a piece of gold, someone has to administrate the physical asset. And if you come buy a stocks or NFT on a stocks or a fungible token on a stock, so-called security tokens, the stock exchange or some centralized custodian can actually administrate the asset. Because it is a security, it is super efficient. So, when it comes to the announcement, when I read it, I was like, "Cool, you know, we're good. We we also have an NFT business where we will we will also be involved in this." But then the first question come to my mind is, "Okay, cool, tokenization of green bond. We know how to do it because the green bond itself is efficiently administered or administrated under custody, under trading, under transfer, under payment. How about wine? How about painting? You know, well, there there are people." In the world, the company in the world that administrate all these assets well, so we have to work with them. Is there one in Hong Kong? I actually did some research. We our team did some research, and unfortunately, there aren't many big ones in Hong Kong. So we made the work with someone global, so that when you buy an NFT, you buy an NFT that has, you know, kind of certainty. Have to be certainty that it is real. Unlike FTX, you know, they say it is yours and then it is not yours. But then, would that require a listing? For example, should should that token be listed somewhere? Say, for example, on on a Type Seven exchange in Hong Kong, where the listing committee of the exchange will independently verify this NFT is well constructed, where investor interests are protected. This is exactly what happened when it comes to the Web two world listing. In terms of listing, the listing committee, a listing division, and also the investment bank who sponsor it will, will go through a vigorous process to ensure the company is real before it's listed. Again, when we talk to our clients, when we talk to even the private banks who naturally would be interested in art and collectible as such NFT on art and collectible, they ask the same questions. How do I know for sure that I'll get my asset back? So I think that would be a great area for, well, imagine, wonderful area, um, exciting area for, for everyone here who, who are interested in art and collectible or vintage products to, to go into, to go into either surface, the surfacing of the asset or the administration of the asset. And also, if you're interested in the test side, then you can go tokenization of the asset and the legal side as well, how do you ring fence it? It was very well brought up. And more importantly, actually as important, at least, how do you make it financial instrument? How do you make it easy to, to understand and legally perfect so that your customers can buy easily and your customer can verify the, the quality of the tokens easily, just like a list of stock, for example, or list of bond, for example. So these are the areas that I think Hong Kong will excel, actually. Uh, Singapore has actually different set of rules. Everyone focus on how Singapore open up cryptos to the crypto native, but they don't actually, they do more than that. They have 
built infrastructure. They've also developed the tokenization market way earlier than Hong Kong. But the good news is Hong Kong has a much stronger present present in 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 security market and also in point art and collectible and and wine market. Hong Kong is the third largest trading house after New York and London in terms of art trading. So so that put us in, in an advantageous situation. I think as an industry together, I think all of us here in the call and if anyone on the call, I think there are almost a thousand. I think I, I saw it was last over 700 people. Anyone who is interested, please come forward and please join our groups. We're also creating groups to lobby the government, actually to work with the government, because if they want to do it, which part of it will be done by the government? Which part of it will be done by the private sector? Or can we do it together? Or would this be more efficient to do it, you know, by ourselves? With the, we can create a facility together that you know administrate art, but then would this art NFT be, be you know be able to be listed in Hong Kong with the exchange SFC, you know, change the law or change the rule to make the Type Seven more flexible, where art NFT with asset back NFT can be listed there. Efficiently, and we did the cost analysis. It will be quite expensive if the items is less than a million Hong Kong dollar. Your cost may eat up into your your initial setup cost, and your your recurring cost may eat up into your in your into your value. So, so I think it's a it's a bigger questions than that require time and collective efforts. And but then the good news is actually a lot of people are super interested in it. So we we actually have been working with a few parties already. But the complexity of asset back NFT, particularly art and collectible as well as wine. It's a lot more complex than security tokens. Uh, again, the security token is not NFT; they're, to- they're fungible tokens. What could even make it more complicated, apart from, you know, the the NFT itself or as a back NFT itself, is apart from sorry, I should say, what make it more complicated, apart from the the administration of the asset for the asset back NFT, is actually the fractionalization of the asset back NFT. So where if you want retail participation or you want more people, even professional investor participation, you want a lot of people buying the same thing, it becomes fungible. When it becomes fungible, it goes back to security tokens. So that part required a lot of thinking and a lot of development. I think it would take some, take, uh, uh, it, I mean, it, it's, it's a great development, but it would take some time, really take some time, as opposed to tokenization of uh, securities. Yes, at the art is something we're very passionate about, especially empowering young artists in Hong Kong. And we have the art collectors that that come in to, to want to tokenize the art collection. And it's right now, currently, you can if you want to. As you said, the the pricing to organize the structure, the custodian. How do you ensure all the art pieces? Will the owner of the art pieces be able to and willing in time to dispose of? the collection and out the underlying assets to holders and how do you how do you dividend when you have a static you know asset which is sitting there in the warehouse because it needs to be custody and properly protected but an RP should be publicly admired as well so you get the occasional exhibition with some income but then it's not enough to support the legal reporting and the structure and all that so right now it's doable but it's highly expensive and very sophisticated than if you do a single piece that is allowed, allowed to be crypto-fractionalized and, and those units listed, then on which exchange? For example, could like Singapore, the SGX has a max trader that provides uh, digital assets trading that does Hong Kong Stock Exchange with chaperone and oversee this part. Are they ready? So very excited 
privately owned assets. Some of the rare pieces of the world, very happy art collectors wanting to fractionalize and share with other people and reap in the investment value over time. Lots of discussions over these five years, but how, when, and at, at what affordable cost that, that will you know, activate these uh, private collections to come into the public domain. So, yeah, we, we should all keep pushing on this. this uh, uh, absolutely, things yeah. that we all keep it, pushing together, actually. Yes, I think yes. We, Yeah, we should push it together because it is prohibitively expensive to do it by yourself and to do it even among your, your private capital. And also, the it actually doesn't leverage the, the, the best of Hong Kong if it's only a private, you know, initiative. So actually, to your point, one thing I want to highlight is the cost of custody, the cost of, cost of administration for security can be as cheap as one basis point. So it's that 0.01%. Meaning for a million US, you, or a million Hong Kong, what not, you, you know, 1% is 10,000, one basis point is $100. And you can't get that in art and culture or art and collectible or, or even, you know, vintage wine. The administration cost is a lot higher, especially if you add another level of administration cost of, you know, tokenization of NFT, you know, the production cost, the gas fee is actually relatively low, low, and the insurance, I think it was mentioned. We actually sell virtual asset insurance. Lloyd's being one of them, immediately used to provide virtual asset insurance. I think they still do now, but very selective for co-wallet. So it could be easily 1% of the value or even if you get this kind of 60 basis Bobby, points. That's you know. because your group has properties in Hong Kong. <laughs> oh, no, no, we don't, we don't. Actually, <laughs> I, actually, no, no, actually, we don't, we don't. Actually, I, I want to highlight. And uh, then you have that, a museum uh, that has all the art pieces that's your custody. So. No, no but, but, no, but it's very expensive. <laughs> I want to highlight. Actually, we don't. Uh, we are a technology company. We are we are related to Adrian, but, you know, those are New World or, you know, the family. But we are just, you know, just a company on our own where Adrian is a shareholder, majority shareholder and a chairman. But we have we are a technology company. We don't have museums. We don't have art more. We don't have you know anything but i want to highlight it is super expensive to do so if you add to the virtual asset part you have to pay another one percent or two percent or 60 basis points for the insurance costs and which make it prohibitively expensive so i think if we can all do it together and affect the government because the government have highlighted that they want to do it and they aspire to make it you know one of the best in, in the in the world if not in the region i think the government has to has to step up yeah and then some universities have museums, so why can't academia come into the space? They have the, you know, the space, the perhaps the security, and the public viewing. And you know, a few players need to come to pilot one art tokenization. <laughs> then set an example, try and error. I think we we all should come together. Whoever has whatever resource, then package it as a your know, first pilot to showcase. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a, that's a thanks, Eddie and Moni, for sharing, especially on the art and collectibles. That's also another area, a huge sector that a lot of interest and a lot of people in the industry are, are, are looking forward to have more possibilities there. I think that's also a, that's a, also a good leeway for, for one of the last point I want to touch at is on talent, because I, I think it's, it's like Eddie and Moni said that like we want everyone to be 
in getting involved and participating, and also also to push this forward. How? But what what do you see of the current talent situation in Hong Kong right now? Because a lot of people I heard that they are also thinking that we are lacking talents in Hong Kong, and a lot of people are moving to other places like Singapore, Dubai, and other places. So so what do you see of the current situation, like talent situation in Hong Kong, and what kind of talents do we need? Maybe Yue Hong can share a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot. Essentially, I mean, we the way we look at talent is the following. I think it's it's a very disruptive industry, right? So you won't find people with five years of work experience at the senior level. Otherwise, you're basically trying to hire Vitalik, right? So essentially, that's 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 something that is that is quite specific. So the whole question is, you know, how, the way we look at talent is. You know, depending on the vertical you want to get into, right? We still first need to have people who understand the underlying industry, right? So we've talked about art, right? Before being able to tokenize art, you need some people who actually understand art, right? What's the custody of art? What's the viewing of art? What's the economics around that, right? Same if you want to do something around DeFi and exchanges, you actually need someone who actually understands how to do settlement on a traditional exchange. What's a clearing entity, right? What's a broker? how does actually the liquidity providing work, right? So essentially, you know, first of all, you need to actually have knowledge of the industry you're trying to disrupt, right? And then on top of that, you actually also need to have the Web3 and blockchain knowledge, right? So the question would be, is it easy, you know, to teach industry knowledge to someone who knows Web3 or is it easier to teach Web3 to someone who actually know industry knowledge, right? And in our experience, I think, so first of all, I think Hong Kong is very privileged in that sense, in the sense of like, you know, of people who know blockchain and Web3 who are passionate about that, actually, Hong Kong is very, very privileged. So, you know, it's, it's, it, you see that the vibe on campus, I was having a discussion with HKUST not long ago, and, you know, you, you really feel like you have a lot of entrepreneurial spirit and a lot of talent over there, right? Second, for more, you know, I, I would say making the talent is also quite important, right? So essentially, like, you know, taking people who are smart and can hustle with strong analytical skills in traditional space that want to be disrupted and teaching them how, you know, Web3 and, and blockchain can disrupt them is also very, very important, right? And, and, and this is actually how you basically start to know if things are a bit you know, scan your note, right? If it basically doesn't work in traditional industry in any sense, right? Why would it work in in, in, in the Web3 space? So, you know, like it, it's some people who really, if you really understand the industry and you really understand how the unit economics works, right? You will actually be able to easily detect if something makes sense or not, right? So I think that's that's quite important. And and I think it's very, very important to for, for, for Web3 Hub to be able to attract talent. So I think, the recent policy on talent retention and attraction in Hong Kong is very positive, right? And, and to be honest, I think you know Hong Kong is, is still very, very attractive for, for the rest of the world, right? But on top of that, what's really important, if you are like a startup and you want to build, right? In order to scale up your product, you actually need to have people, right? Talents. And, you know, being closer to the GBA, right? Allows you actually to tap into a huge source of talent. Something that combined with the new immigration scheme can actually be very, very positive for Hong Kong, right? So for instance, I mean, I've talked to founders in Singapore and they all struggle to find engineering team. So you actually have the sales and management team sitting in Singapore, but where can you find engineering in Singapore, right? It's actually pretty hard. There is 
expensive engineer, but it's not enough for you to scale up the whole team. So essentially being in a place where you can both tap into a broader talent pool and having actually favorable immigration policy is something I think I'm very excited for Hong Kong, right? And and you know, like it's it, I'm also very excited for for BCG. So if you are if you are interested from a talent point of view, feel free to send me a DM. Cool. You're home start. You're home recruiting right now. So how about how about yeah, um, doing a bit of ads. <laughs> <laughs> so Eddie, what what do you think? Like, and any specific kind of talents that that you think it's it's you guys always need? And what do you think of this new like how how does this policy and also the talent retention policy is going to help? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. The policy is awesome. Also, the hundred university policy is great. And I'm sure that will expand to where where uh, more more global talents can come to Hong Kong. I want to share a sh- quick story of our daily life where <laughs> we are we are we have lots of finance people or ex finance people who are it's interesting. Some of them are in the thirties. Some of them are in the forties. Some of them in the fifties, sixties, seventies. Seriously, actually, we're all ages. We all trying to learn new stuff. So first of all, you need someone who aspires to learn new stuff and who wants to take risks. And, and we do this every day. That's our business. We try to, again, revolutionize investment banking, meaning securitize, I mean, basically issuing security token, for example, rather than issuing a traditional stocks, you know, or bonds. We try to <clears throat> revolutionize also NFT with asset-backed NFT rather than just NFT. We try to revolutionize virtual asset trading, apart from just physical settle we want, cash settles, etc. So so we have real people going to work, getting paid or, or not pay or getting paid in, in incentive scheme to actually do it. The challenge is actually in your mind. Actually, what we figure is, you know, everyone would be helpful because if you have background in art, then you can do the art NFT super well. If you have background in stocks, Originations, then you do the. I we call it the investment banking, blockchain investment banking, very well. If you are a trader like me, I used to be a trader when I was young, then you would do the trading part super well in terms of blockchain trading or you know crypto trading or you know whatnot trading. So, but the hard part is actually the mindset to keep coming in, trying to revolutionize a process that seems to be working because in the real world financial market are working, and then to tell the world that you are going to have a system that is better, and actually make it better, not just Thinking, it is better. So there's a saying by Thomas Edison. I always find it quite true, and I find it even more true for talents when it, when we recruit talents. We call it one percent is inspiration. So and then the ninety nine percent is this perspiration, where you have to go work and work and work and try and fail and work and try and fail. That's the talent that I find it not easy to find in Hong Kong. We still find some of them, but we find quite a lot of resistance against it. <clears throat> or we find a lot of inertia for you know finance people or whatnot people who are comfortable in their jobs, who also are used to the way that they do things. They sleep on Saturday night. They sleep early because they go into work on Monday, and then they do things on Monday through Friday and Saturday, and then they go you know so normal routine stuff. So to, I mean, it's to break that barrier mentally is super hard. But once we break it, then you suddenly realize that the person become very different. I think instead of looking for the talents, I think it's how we groom the talents. When those people are really talented, I think that one is is the hardest. To Yihong and at this point, I totally agree. Uh, right now, those who with um industry knowledge or expert in a certain field, uh, those would be mature. They would have 
in their mind day and night, thinking how blockchain, metaverse, Web3 enhance either scalability or efficiency or a cost. So they are already thinking about that. So I'm very excited that there's a pool of talent, an industry veteran from different walks, thinking to connect with the you know blockchain world and using distributed technology to to you know just just be a superpower in whatever they do already. In terms of talent, I do agree. We as a law firm really want to groom our own talent, um, because then they will understand our our values. We we are a Christian law firm. So integrity and the Christian values uh, meant a lot to us. So then they can be ambassadors to then groom the next generation. So we believe in long, long-term sustainable, sustainable talent grooming. That's why we have so many interns. By the way, we're recruiting interns all the time, Metaverse interns, and we, we love to send them to different companies to really work on instead of you know observing or, or reading as a third-party observer. They need to be roll up their hands and get their hands dirty to then understand what, 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 where they can position themselves. I totally agree with the mentality part as well. So we need to keep thinking and learning. Whoever is excited about learning each day is, is, has to progress no matter which direction. So it's a, it's a need for curiosity and, and to expand into this world. On, on talent, I, I think those who can withstand boredom is important as well because through time through consistently pursuing at things it, it's sometimes very lonely and and very frustrating but it, can you you know grit through it and then you start to find the fun and, and the enjoyment and the passion so it, it's not you know a talent or high grades but you know that grit and and the, the ability to withstand boredom that will bring you to the next level Yeah, 100%. I think what Yue Hong, Eddie, and Morning said were uh, uh, mentioned are really well said. And personally, I, I, I used to be in, in a startup space and entrepreneur as well. So I think after entering the Web3 space or community, I do find that people in the Web3 community are showing like super strong resilience and desperation and the passion to learn and like disrupt, disrupt disrupt and revolutionize and thinking something new every day like these are true hustlers and i think it requires a lot of resilience especially in markets like this so yeah so so hopefully we can see more and more people in this in this space and especially in hong kong and if for everyone who's listening and who's out there if you're interested feel free to to join adel to learn more and and also we hong and morning are all recruiting so so feel free to dm them as well so yeah, in the, in the interest of time, oh Eddie, Eddie, do you have something to add? Yeah, I do want to say we are recruiting too. So, oh. but, yeah, we're joining the team. <laughs> we're fighting we're for fighting talent. For talent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We started oh, fighting. I also had something. I see four family offices and Singapore crypto firms coming to Hong Kong. Very excited. There's a Singapore crypto firm. I I yet to find out. They took a whole floor of twenty thousand square feet in a Harbour City. So we're seeing movement uh, from Singapore to Hong Kong because a lot of Singaporeans are telling me Hong Kong has that grid that Singaporeans may prefer work-life balance. <laughs> so there you go. Yay. Like, yeah. Yeah, this and, and one, awesome. la- one last thing I want to say is, you know, what we've discussed, we just scratched the surface in terms of what's possible. 
right? So essentially, you know, we, we've talked a bit about asset allocation, we've talked a bit about art, we talked a bit about NFT, but you know, the horizon is way broader, right? So if you really think about, you know, what the e-Hong Kong dollar and the blockchain can enable, right? Which, you know, there is actually some consortium being being discussed and some pilot in, in discussion, right? So I think that's, that's quite tremendous, right? You can do like, you, know, you can think about like collateralized loan, right? You can think about micro insurance, right? You can think about like, you know, betting, right? Or you can think about remittance, all those use cases with or without NFT or even tokenized loyalty, right? Those are the things that are very, very exciting. So I think, you know, it's not only limited to the art or the financial industry. I think it will impact all industry and, and there is opportunity everywhere. I wish we could carry on for another hour. What about biotech? That's a huge space as well. <laughs> maybe for another time. Yeah, maybe we, we can continue on for, for a part two too, because there are so many, so many sectors that we haven't touched on. And yeah, this is really just like a very brief uh, discussion that, that what we, what, what, what we had, but it's all great stuff. Yeah, so I want to use a little bit the last bit of time and see if anyone in the audience have any questions. Feel free to request and, and raise your hand and we can, you can come up to the stage. Thanks, all the speakers sharing. Can you guys hear? Hi, Kama. Hey, thanks. Yes, yeah, very great content. I got a question. Okay, this whole week, everybody's eye is on FTX and now crypto.com. So what do you guys view on what this incident gonna might affect the Hong government's perspective on shaping the actual policy? What's your view on this? Because it's a huge thing in the space right now. I'm sure the Hong Kong government people, they are looking at it and studying at it. And then possibly it might affect some of their thoughts. What's your, what's your view on this? Yeah, maybe I can start first. I think that's, I mean, obviously everybody is actually quite interested in, in what happened with, with FTX, right? I think what's even more interesting is the regulatory regime in Hong Kong, right? And virtual assets actually requires a clear separation between client assets and the funds, right? So like, even if you run an exchange, you cannot touch your client assets. That's actually clearly mentioned. And even actually has limitation on how you basically custody assets, right? You basically, if you self-custody, you need to actually declare how, you, how the custody is done. And if you use a third party custody, basically, you also need to you advise actually to diversify between different custodians. Right. So I think basically the, the regulation are already in place to prevent this type of thing. It's just like in the Bahama case of FTX, right? I don't know how actually they, they got through in terms of detail, but you know, they just cheated and, and there was not cracked down on that. Right. I think that's the first point. I think the second point is, you know, what we're going to see very likely is people for the near future, right, the institutions who got burned will actually a bit walk away or take extra caution and diligence, both on deals, but also on digital asset investments, right? So what does it mean? It means that, you know, equity investment will not be that easy, 
right? People who spend more time doing diligence, especially for, for exchange platform or services that actually put money into it, right? And the second thing, which is important, what I would expect is, you know, having more like a bring your own custodian for the exchange type of model, right? So today, basically, when you go to an exchange, use the exchange custodian, right? They do not actually know how the, the funds are, are put together, right? But you can imagine that even in Hong Kong, you actually have multiple custodians which are licensed, right? You can think about having an entity, right? For instance, I don't know, Hextrust, right? And you put your money in Hextrust and you'll be able to connect Hextrust to either centralized or decentralized exchange, right? And be able to, to trade on it, right? So the separation between distribution, custody, and the exchange part of it will be very, very different, right? And I think the third part of it is the rise of decentralized exchange, right? So I think more and more people will realize that, you know, it basically breaks at the weakest point in the chain, right? And the more you basically remove intermediaries or central entities, and the more transparent is the barrier is, right? So obviously, you know, the question is whether decentralized exchange, uh, not all of them has actually um, the right maturity in of technology, right? Some of them still get hacked, et cetera, right? But for the mature ones, those who gain actually more traction. So because it's just secure, transparent, decentralized, and arguably uh, more transparent than a lot of those centralized exchanges. For, for me, Eddie, more personal view than a firm view, just personally. I think the industry, the crypto industry as a whole, has been kind of hoping the government will be, will be more receptive to on-chain custody, on-chain, in general, on-chain activity. Obviously, if you look through the policy paper, as we mentioned, ETF, for example, for, for retail investors, the underlying portfolio of the ETF is a CMD listed crypto derivative that are Web2 regulated that is cash settled that doesn't touch any on-chain activities. I think it speaks for itself, the policy itself. I mean, again, I'm not a policy writer. I'm, I'm not a regulator, so I can't, I don't know exactly what they think, but I think if you look through the paper, you can probably guess that they are not as comfortable with on-chain activity as traditional, you know, as you can potentially understand. And with the merging of FTX chaos, and actually I heard that, you know, in, you know, crypto.com, BlockFi, and there's one, even tonight in Hong Kong, there's another one day in Hong Kong that may suspend withdrawal. I heard, you know, I think it would be quite hard for a regulator to, to be, to be aggressive. I think the industry as a whole has pushed the regulator to be more aggressive in accepting on-chain activities. You mentioned a few good points about, you know, what can be done with a trusted license. For example, Arta, we have a trusted license, exactly what you say, you know, Hashkey and OSL have, you know, Taiwan and Seven, and they, they also have used their trusted license for custody. So there's a rule there. There's the approved candidate also who can carry out this activity. But what next after this, I think is, is important. I I have a feeling that with the FTX and all this, you know, who knows who will even go under. The C5 in DeFi won't work. I think you home right tip on out. The DeFi, DeFi will work. DeFi change. And then the C5, C5 will work. C5, C5 stands for CME, list of features, cash titles. So... So C5 and D5 will probably cease to, you know, exist. And then obviously one way, one thing that I would, you know, work, I mean, I would ask or I would advocate for is a pure custody, pure trustee license, pure, in Singapore, they actually have a custody kind of license for security token, for example, 
or, or even for, for any tokens. So can we create that regime in Hong Kong and make it independent? Currently, it's the Hong Kong, in Hong Kong, it's a trustee license, but can we create a true crypto, physically crypto, satellite cryptos, trustee license or custody license that go under, you know, you know, a general law, for example, uh, type one and type two security and futures licenses actually allow us to hold custody of client asset or keep custody of client asset on behalf of the clients. Again, obviously in client money, so it's client money. It's, it's, it's their money. It's segregated, you know. So, so these rules are not new. They have been around for 100 years. Just that in the CFI entity of the DeFi world, they haven't existed and people believe in them. So let's go back to the same rules that everyone understands, you know, client money. So I think the regulator will make sure that this is the case. Again, as you say, some of the, the approved candidate already make this happen, but then it, there needs to be, I mean, actually the regulator needs to perfect the current regime first. It's not even complete. So, but I think the regulator will make sure that it is perfect before they will open up. So. It could be a while, I think. It could be a long time, in fact. I think it's very timely, you know, with Terra, Luna, TX, the second largest. Actually, Sam was uh, in our firm four years ago uh, when he was um, in modest beginning, humble beginnings, but we didn't quite understand what he was trying to say about his grand plan. So that that was just one visit. But he was very aggressive. But I want to say FTX was a private project started by him and his team it did not receive you know a, li- a license anywhere or being regulated it was just him him and and what he wants to do and how he wants to narrate that that space then there's a lot of it's a private project it's a private company I subsequently received licensing but then you know it wasn't born and bred licensed entity or regulated from the very beginning with all the safe safe safety guards and, and, and safety nets and, and all this segregation mechanism in place or subject to regular checks. So I think it is a positive because it then opens up everything to scrutiny. And once you've seen the papers to be filed with the liquidation, you know, chapter eleven in the US, everyone's going in now to unravel what's what's happening. The papers will be in the public, then it sheds light and it's no other than the you know, same old, same old, power, absolute power corrupts and client trust funds are not properly protected and there was no check and balance within the organization and and outside from scrutinization of the authority. So I don't think it's, yes, public sentiment and, and you know, regulators, of course, they're humans. What, what else can we do more protective rather than not? But all for... for, for, for the general, you know, market transparency and disclosure. So I think it's very positive. It's nothing new. What happened with FTX in terms of collapse? We have listed companies that go down, you know, with problems and issues as well and got suspended and so on. So these are just uh, human fallacies in the corporate world, crypto or not. But then what else can they do with the hacking, right? Can Do they have expertise to... To, to prevent that, that, that's a whole suit of questions which will be enabling type of questions and mechanism type of questions. But on the regulation side of things, I think the move is still forward. This is a singular case which happens in the real world, in other sectors as well. Unfortunately, the magnitude and, and, and of it is, you know, yeah, newsworthy. But I, I think it's positive where 
every ugly is is turned upside down and, and you know then it's there's nothing mysterious that they feel fearful they haven't covered. Thanks, Amone, and thanks, Eddie and Yu Hong, for for your comments. I think, yeah, just one point to add is that definitely it's it, it this is a very timely incident. Also, I think it, it's it's some incidents and for 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 such a industry for such a new space we have to go through it and to learn and and to be better regulated at some point. Yeah, so I think um, we are we are running out of time. But thank you, thank you all being here tonight and staying with us for for almost an hour and a half. And thank you again, Eddie. Thank you, Yu Hong, and thank you, Morning, for for the great sharing. And hopefully, I'll see you around in in Hong Kong soon and in in real life. And and also see you in Ada. Thanks for listening to the ADAO podcast. Want to know more about ADAO? Please visit our website ADAO.io if you enjoy our podcast. And don't forget to like and subscribe. See you next time.